how thankful I am that we have such uh, liberty with the, the Word of God. We live on this side of the, the Gutenberg Press. We live in a day in which we have multiple copies. It's freely given to us, and we have much to be thankful for. And as the Scriptures reveal not only what we are to think, they also train us in how to think. And that's what Jesus is doing with His disciples here in this chapter. Hear the Word of God beginning at verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And Jesus called a little child to Him and set Him in the midst of them and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one little child like this in my name, receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offenses come. If your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life lame or maimed, rather than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety and nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the ninety-nine that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Our gracious Father, as we come to this text today, make us to see what we should see. Help us to understand what we are to understand. So give us eyes to see and ears to hear but hearts to receive the Word of God. And we pray that we would be trained not only in what to think, but how to think. As Jesus was working with His disciples in, in that time just months before his, his crucifixion, training them and teaching them the very things in life that would prepare them for their greatest crisis. May we so have ears to hear our Lord speak to us that we might be able to stand in the evil day. But not only that, that we might thrive in the kingdom of God, one with another. And we pray that the Spirit of God would now empower this message and bring forth the fruit that would please and glorify you. In Jesus' name, Amen. You may be seated. <coughs> Before we get into the specifics of the passage, it may help us to review for a moment Matthew's structure of the Gospel that he wrote. Matthew's Gospel is structured with 
five narratives that are followed by five discourses. They're somewhat couplets, if you will. And each one of those discourses, which is a teaching, the time when Jesus is specifically teaching, is followed by a phrase nowhere else used. And it goes in this way or a corollary of such. And it happened when Jesus finished these sayings. If you now uh, glance down at chapter 19, verse 1, it says, now when it came to pass when Jesus had finished these sayings. See, there's the phrase. And so it's going to begin a new narrative. And so Matthew 18 um, is one of the discourses between these narratives. So what we have here in chapter 18 is a new discourse, a new teaching that Jesus is teaching His disciples we might remember that this is a time when he was withdrawing more from public life and spending more focused time teaching his disciples. So we have in this chapter the fourth of those discourses or those teaching portions. But as we read through this whole chapter, we ask, well, what is he teaching about? It's one chapter. What is the main thrust of his teaching? And Jesus took the opportunity to begin to teach the disciples from the question that was asked of Him in verse 1. Lord, who is the greatest in the kingdom? Well, real quick, let me just go down through this chapter and show you the three main divisions of this chapter. We have verses 1-14, through 14, which is the first section, and then we have verses 15 through 20, which is a second section, and verses 21 through 35, which is the third section. Now this first section that I read in total today, which we will not uh, finish today, but look at the first portion of that, we find in verses 1 through 14, Jesus refers, refers to little children seven times in those 14 verses. And he's answering the question of his disciples about who is the greatest. And Jesus begins to answer them in terms of little children. Which would, in the way that they were thinking about greatest, be considered on the opposite end of the spectrum of the least. And Jesus teaches them in the first section that they need to relate to one another as humble children. Now the second portion in verses 15 through 20 is a subject that we'll get to, and you're probably well familiar with this, but it's about confronting one another in a particular way when there are relational struggles. And then verse 20. 1 through 35, we have the subject there. It starts off with the parable of the unforgiving servant, and we have the subject of the forgiveness of brethren. Dismissing offenses against one another when they offend us. And there may be someone here this morning that what they need the most of today, and of the message, is a word from this third section that I'm not even going to preach on today, and that is simply to forgive somebody. Is there someone that's sitting in this room 
this morning that you basically avoid them. And you do so because he or she offended you in some way. Or they let you down. And so you simply have some relational distance. You avoid them. And you feel somewhat justified in that relational distance. Well, that last part of the chapter is for you today. A portion that we're not even going to preach. Because our Lord taught extensively on the necessity and the need of our forgiveness of those who sin against us and who let us down. Who disappoint us. And perhaps that's the only word you need this morning. And what all three of those sections have in common is what is the thrust of the chapter's teaching and our relations one to another in the kingdom of God. That really is what is going to be the overall thrust of the chapter. Our relationships one with another in the kingdom of God. Not only how we think about those things, or what we think about those things, it's how we even think about this particular subject in life. How we live these things out. And folks, if we could get a hold of the contents of this chapter and all three of those sections and take it to our hearts, it will radically change the life of this church body. If we can make these matters habitual part of our lives in community life and in this church, we will be a different church for the better. Altogether differently. And I want us to think about a different way of thinking about life that is not natural, it's not inherent in our innate fallen nature, but is exactly the way that Jesus is teaching His disciples about what it means to be a true human person. Remember that the image of God in which we are all created is marred and fallen, and in Christ it's being renewed And we are being renewed in the image of Christ who's teaching us how to be a new kind of human. Completely renewed in the image of God. So you have to think in this renewed kind of living, not in the old natural way that you fall as by default prey to. So this morning I want us to look at the beginning of this chapter, just the first few verses, and preach to you on relating to one another as little children. To many adults, children are just a nuisance. As one commentator said, the point is that they are a nuisance if they are, because they matter. They disturb our organized adult world because they are real people. If they were toys or machines, they could just be put away in the toy box or out in the garage or up in a cabinet and put away. But we can't do that. Children have their own dignity. They have their own questions. They have their own future. And they have their own unique identity. In some societies, children were seen as only half human until they reached puberty. Girls in many of those societies suffered the most. They were often thrown out at birth to starve to death or to be 
left to the animal predators. There are many societies where children are despised. They're seen as a hindrance. They encroach upon the population, and so we have to control that. That is still true today. China, for almost 2,000 years, has been involved in particularly female infanticide, and even abortion in our land shows us the way that we think about children as well. Children are often a class of a person that are despised and berated by adults or things that get in the way or encroach upon my standard of living or uh, the things that I have to do. I can't go just stick them in the garage. And we see on even more than one occasion that the disciples had a little thinking that may have persuaded them along this line because they kept the children from coming to bother the Master, Jesus. And so He often, or several times on several occasions, would use a child as an illustration against the grain of the common way of thinking about them even in that Greek culture that they lived. So it was a very strong and pugnant point that Jesus takes a child and He puts him, or perhaps even her, in their midst to teach them about the nature of the kingdom of God. I say perhaps her, because really in the Greek language, the Greek has um, a masculine and a feminine noun, but they also have a neuter noun, and children are really a neuter. A thing. So it could be even a little girl who would have made the point even stronger here. I actually thought, Jay, of borrowing one of your little girls to illustrate the point because I think they would make it well, but I won't put them on the spot. But little children are real people and they're characterized in certain ways, and in a certain way that our Lord wanted us to get. They have a simple and unassuming spirit. And we're talking about three and four and five year olds. The little children here, of which the passage uses, is not a suckling infant, and neither is it a teenager. It's a little child who has simple trust. They can be shy, but unpretentious. And the fact is that they are small, and they know that they are small, and they know that there's a lot of things that they cannot do for themselves, and they're not ashamed to ask for help. And they can easily simply just take their place in context with others rather easily. When my boys were really young, I took them hunting and they followed me out to the blind where we got all set up. When there were obstacles in the way and we were doing this in the wee hour of the morning when it was dark and we came across an object that they could not surmount alone, whether that be a creek or a ditch or a barbed wire fence or a gate, they easily just fell into context. They didn't 
fight me, presuming they could get it done alone. They didn't say, leave me alone. They, they just simply fell into context. They knew that they were small. They needed my help. When it came time to uh, get ourselves postured in the blind, there was no question or arguing over who's going to hold the gun or shoot the deer if we happen to see that. They simply fell into context as a child so customarily does. There was no bickering or arguing about who's going to do what. The boys simply found their place in context with one another and with me. The little children, the little children, don't carry around a lot of burdens or cares about who's going to be the greatest. That's not even on their minds. That's not even a question that little three-year-olds and four-year-olds generally have. Now they will learn. They're not thinking the way that the disciples are thinking when they ask the question. When a child is very young, he is not interested in who wins the game as much as he is in the fact that he enjoys playing the game. You know what I'm talking about when you have some activity with a child and, and you, I don't know what you do, you reach out behind a, a pillow and you boo. And the kid laughs and Boo. And you do it again and again. I remember we were over at Daniel and Trishan's a couple of weeks ago, and, and, and little David is sitting there. I was doing something, and he just laughs, and he wants to do it again. He laughs, wants to do it again. I, I could not wear that out. He did not get tired of it. It didn't matter who won. That wasn't on his mind. That didn't care about it. it. Just simply the fact that you're interacting is what brings him the joy. That's what Jesus is beginning to want His disciples to understand here. As children grow like you and me and adults, they learn very much to be more selfish according to their innate fallen nature. And competitive traits begin to kick in and it's quite contrary then to the nature of the kingdom which Jesus is now teaching us. In the first 14 verses of this chapter, Jesus uses the little term, the little children, the term little children seven times to emphasize something about the kind of person to teach his disciples something about how to think, which relates to the nature of the kingdom that they had not yet grasped. In verse 1, the disciples asked Jesus, who is going to be the greatest or who is the greatest in the kingdom? You might even hear that echoed with James and John's mom. Lord, when you go into your kingdom, have one to sit on your left and one on the right. You, you, you hear this kind of way of thinking about the kingdom. They were still thinking about the kingdom in their own terms, in their own way, their own worldview. They had not yet grasped the nature of the kingdom in God's terms. They had not yet grasped the nature all the way of a crucified Messiah. And He's teaching them now, retraining them how to think. They were curious about, Lord, who's going to be your Secretary of State? Who's going to be in your cabinet in this position or that position? And while those questions may not be completely irrelevant, the way they were thinking about it was way off. 
first thing Jesus does is He takes up a child. He sets the little child in the midst. And He begins to teach them as they observe the little child. In verse 3, Jesus teaches them of their need to be converted into the likeness of a child in order to even enter the kingdom of God. So he says there, Assuredly I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Now first of all, disciples, I want you to understand, forget about just who's the greatest for a moment, and let's just think about who's actually in. He's going to start there. We must start off our Christian life, and every one of us who are truly a Christian always does start off our Christian life as a little child. And Jesus needs to get into the disciples' minds that the weakest and most vulnerable, least significant human being you can think of is the clearest possible example of what the nature of the kingdom of God is like. Jesus is answering grown men who are asking questions about who is the greatest. See, older people fight over things like that. And Jesus begins by saying, let's start by talking about who's in my kingdom. And while Jesus uses a little child as an example to make his point, He then begins to expand the meaning beyond a literal child and begins to apply it to everyone who is in His kingdom, no matter what their age or their maturity. Spiritual children. The entire chapter is dealing with how we relate to each other in the kingdom of Christ. In God's kingdom, there is a certain nature, a characteristic that is true. And He wants us to understand and to embrace it and to live this way. And Jesus begins informing the disciples that the true nature of the kingdom and the way they relate to each other is going to be like, and it must be like, little children. And it takes an adult person to, to lower himself. Fitting that humble, helpless place. It takes that to enter the kingdom of God. And that's very difficult for us because by nature we are intensely proud. We are strongly disinclined to accept anything from anybody. Jesus insists that we come down and acknowledge that we are no different from anybody else in our need, in our smallness, in our helplessness. And your point of view and your spirit needs to be changed. That's what He says. Unless you are converted and your thinking changes and your spirit changes down to this level, you can't even get in. Much less talk about who's the greatest. So you and I, who are intensely proud by nature, have to come to a complete reversal in the way that we think about this. 
We often think about vulnerability and the weakness of children as something to be ashamed of as an adult. Because of pride. Yet Jesus said, unless you're converted and become like that in your thinking, you can't enter the kingdom of God. Jesus implies, in my kingdom, <clears throat> you're all little children. That's the point He wants to get us to. Those who are really humble, these are my great little people. Now in verse 4, he now turns to the subject of those who have entered the kingdom, and he speaks about the true greatness in terms of childlike humility. Therefore, whoever humbles himself as this little child is the greatest in my kingdom of heaven. Now he begins to answer the question. But in a completely different framework. All those who are the great people are those who humble themselves as a little child, who, who, who know their place, who know they're helpless, and they know they're a little child, and they're not ashamed to ask for help. And it's vital to understand here that he's not talking about the newest of converts, or the smallest of children, or the little children of infants or babes. He's referring to people who persist in that same humility in the kingdom in which they entered it. He's talking about you and me. And this humility is something that becomes their character. In fact, the older and the more mature Christians will be more childlike in their character than even new converts will. That's the way it should be as we grow in this diminutive way. And he uses those diminutive expressions throughout this chapter. Those who humble themselves, who do not despise others. The word despise here used further down in the chapter or in the passage, it means to look down on somebody for some reason. To look down upon them. Perhaps measuring somebody else by what they, what they wear. Or what car they drive. Or what truck they own. Or what house they live in. Or, they, or don't. Or can't. Or some social awkwardness they have in their character. Or perhaps uh, the way they play music. Or the way that they... They hear music or whatever it is. The despise means to look down upon somebody. But humble little children aren't in a place where they can look down on others and despise them because they're the lowest on the totem pole. And so they don't focus on others in that kind of way. Now, several times in Jesus' ministry, He actually would refer to His disciples as little children. In that time when He takes them up into the upper room and He's preparing them for their greatest crisis in life in what we call the upper room discourse from John chapter 13 to John 17, He begins teaching them about the Trinity. 
And in John chapter 13, he says, Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. He's addressing them as little children. In John 21, 5, after, he, after his resurrection, he goes out and he sees them. And he says, children, have you any food? Speaking about, have you caught anything? His disciples picked up on this. And so it's not by surprise when John, who actually records most of those uh, appellatives, in John, 1 John 2, 1, he says to the people that he's writing to, my little children, these things I write unto you, that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ. My little children. Now, how would you feel? This is personal. I'm asking you specifically as an individual in your own mind this question. How would you feel if Pastor Keith addressed you as a grown adult, as a little child? Perhaps you come to him for asking for some counsel, and he starts off this way Little child. Would you immediately recoil in your spirit? If there's any truth to that whatsoever, you're illustrating the very point that Jesus is trying to get at here. I remember a time when, when I was a, a teenager. and I didn't want to be called boy. You been there? Yeah, Pierce is like, yeah. don't call me boy. Call me boy. My mom still calls me her baby. And I've accepted that. That's a terms of endearment to me now. But, you know, I didn't want to be called child, boy. Why? And this is, the, this is what Jesus is trying to undo out of your spirit. And what John says, little children. And Pastor Keith may say, little child. Pastor Keith may tell, tell Pastor Lovett, little child, settle down. And it just levels the playing field, does it not? And that's the kind of mindset and the humility that he's getting at. And he's doing it in the context when his disciples are asking, who's the greatest? Who's going to be the Secretary of State, Lord, in your kingdom? Little children. Little child. You need to think differently. See, it's an appropriate term for every one of us. And if that thought would simply get a hold of us at a certain level, it literally would level the playing field. It would level the field where it needs to be leveled. And when we can accept that, we can begin to view our service to one another not as an imposition, nor as a pathway to glorification among the brothers and the sisters. But when we really accept that I am really like a little child and not to think of myself as greater in any way in the Lord's family than anyone else, in any way or sense of that matter, it alters the entire attitude of the church when we not despise or look down or show contempt, and when we can humble ourselves, and when we can be addressed as little child. And every one of us can accept the fact that we are. 
It affects the entire attitude. It would change our body. It also affects the way that people serve and minister to one another. The mindset into which and out of which they serve and minister and how they think about the kingdom. How they think about greatness. Or how they think about simply falling into context. When we think about it, when we think humbly like a child, we can easily fall into context. I appreciated Larry's prayer this morning that we can he prayed for the elders and he prays that 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 we can in a sense easily fall into context make make it easy for them to shepherd us is how he put it that's what i mean by fall easily falling into context where the lord has placed each one of us in the body of christ when we can easily fall into context as a little child going to the hunting blind with dad, where there's not contention and where there's a spirit of, of just resolve as a child to be happy to be with Father. We can be happy to be with each other. Serving as the Lord has put us in the body. We don't have anything to prove and we don't have uh, seeing each other as an imposition or as a nuisance. But as little children, we embrace them as the Lord embraces. As the Lord has put us in the body of Christ, and we'll have a good appreciation for the nature of the kingdom and how He's training us to think about the kingdom. Trying to teach the disciples when they ask who is the greatest to simply step back and as a little child, just, just fall into context. All in the context. Remember at the very end of John chapter 21 and Jesus is restoring Peter. And Peter looks over and he points to John, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he says, what about him? What about him? Jesus says, you're not thinking yet like a little child. What is it? If He is still here when I come back. What is that to you? You feed My sheep and tend My lambs. You do what I've called you to do. When we easily fall into context as a little child, there is a resignation in our spirit. We don't have to contend about who's going to, to hold the gun or shoot the deer or find our place in the stand. We just easily adjust to the place that God has put us without contention. As the disciples were arguing about who's the greatest and what positions they would hold or who would hold them, that's what was driving their mind of the question at the time. So let's take just a few minutes and turn back to that passage that we read in Romans chapter 12 to make some application of this very principle because it's relevant to what the disciples were asking and what Jesus was trying to get them to understand in terms of the mind of the kingdom children. In Romans chapter 12, let me get there. As Keith read that earlier, he read a portion of that that starts off in verse 3, For I say 
through the grace given to me, to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly as he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one the measure of faith. When we consider what we are this morning as little children trying to think about your area of service in the church and what your role is, whether it's the Secretary of State or whatever it, whatever it is. It's, think about it differently. We're all kind of on the bottom of the totem pole. We're all on this level playing field. And then your mind might grope about for some way to serve the Lord in the way He's talking about. To serve in some way where, where I'm not the center of attention. Some way that really is just kind of lowly and unnoticed and really almost unappreciated because no one knew I ever did what I did. And here's the mistake in that kind of thinking. Because we can make the mistake of overlooking the fact that our humble service to another and the form of the ministry that service takes are according to the King's choosing. It's Christ who appoints according to the measure of grace and to the measure of faith He appoints each one in the body in the way that He decides. And that just simply accepting my role where He puts me is the channel through which I am to humbly serve. So that if I understand it the way as a little child that He's trying to express here would have, I could just easily fall into context with that. And the answer for Peter is not to say, Lord, I don't want the keys that You gave me. It's not to shirk or fall back or shrink back from the very gifting and the place that He's put you in the body, but it's not to think of yourself more highly than you ought to think whatever that station or gifting or place it is. And that's the thrust of the direction that He wants us to accept here. Everyone has been given a spiritual gift of which Romans 12 starts off the entire chapter. Don't be thinking like the world. Don't be thinking in the way of a man. Be thinking in the ways of God. So you're going to have to have your mind transformed. And you have to think about it in terms of children of the kingdom and the character that Jesus is trying to express. And we are not to think about ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Which means simply to humbly assess our gifts and to humbly serve the body with the gifts that we were given for God's glory and for the body's prosperity and edification and not to my own glorification, not to my own status, not to my own self-aggrandizement or appreciation or pats on the back or whatever it is that I might think of in terms of that old way that would drive the question, well, who's the greatest? That's what I want. But it's to humbly serve what God has put in my hands. Easily just fall into context. The place in the body, your place of service has been appointed by God for you. 
reiterates this down in verse 6. Having the gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. And to be able to easily fall into context as a little child would mean that we don't presume. That we're not in competition with each other. That we don't look down upon others or, or, or despise them in any sort of way. But we actually acknowledge their place in the kingdom and give God thanks for their gifts because they edify and build us all up. And to be able to easily fall into context will characterize a spirit of every one of the members of the kingdom as a child. So there's not a contention about what I am to do versus what they are to do. Or, or I don't want to serve that person or love that person in this way. Or they're a nuisance. We don't think about children in the kingdom as a nuisance. Or as an imposition or a problem. And if we think in the right way, we began to see the spirit of what he's trying to teach his disciples with this little child. And you will begin to know great people in the kingdom because of the spirit that he's talking about here. Now, there's a spirit. We come here with this morning. Not so much as I came to see what everybody would do for me this morning. But we should come here this morning ready to serve everybody I can. And I am prepared to do that because they are great little people. And I'm a child. And I want to serve. See, that's the spirit he's getting at. I don't mind stooping at any level to serve anybody. We're just all little children here. That's the mind. But the way in which God would have me do that in terms of the equipment or the tools or the giftings that he's given into my hands, it isn't for me to try to display those things. Things that God would then give me simply so that I can edify or build up the body as well as you. It's not in the way that we think about one place or gift as being more exalted than another place, because God says He honors even the most unseemly gifts more than those which seem to be obvious to us. It's not also in a spirit of which we want to go about and like, I'm a humble person, now, now let me show you. See, we're fighting and battling a whole way of thinking about being a child in the kingdom in a new way. This is what Jesus is doing throughout this entire passage. But right now especially, getting it off on the right footing about being like a little child. 
acting like a little child, and treating everybody in a very wholesome way. Falling into context. And all of us are to go about into the kingdom with this continued diminishing estimation of ourselves. We need to continue to diminish those estimations of ourselves. As John the Baptist, may I decrease so that he may increase. And we are to maintain the same kind of spirit and proceeding into the kingdom life that we entered it into with the humility of a child. And this is going to be one of the greatest ways we can relate to each other in the kingdom. By the virtue of a humble little child. So don't recoil if Jesus calls you little children. Don't push back against John when he says little children. And don't push against Pastor Keith when he says little child. It's not a condescending thing he's he's referring to, but a mind that you are a child of the great King. And we are all children. And Jesus says you need to think this way. And when you do, the very question that you're asking would not even come to your mind. God be glorified in teaching us how to relate to each other as humble little children. Our Father in Heaven, we thank You for the illustrations that You give to us right in our very midst that teach us how to be more godly and holy and how to get along with others with the best of spirit and the ease in which we need to have. Lord, we are intensely proud people and we grow in the fierceness of that pride through our lives as the old nature continues to surface itself from the depths of the very character of our old man. And as we hear with the disciples what Jesus is teaching us in Matthew 18, may we have the Spirit to give us understanding of how to think, not just what to think. The way to view life as little children, humble and unpresuming. And as we can not be ashamed to cry out for help and, and to seek our Heavenly Father in everything that we need. And we pray that we would not condescend or despise one another or belittle or look down on, on any matter of life. We can readily accept each other in the image of God being restored and that we can see each other as our Lord sees them. And Lord, we pray that You would give us a mind to relate to every person in this way and that we can easily fall into context in this body so that we can serve our Lord in the way that He has appointed for us without being concerned what is the greatest and what's got the most honor or the greatest status. Lord, we pray that we would learn to be the last and to know that the Lord is the one who honors. Lord, we ask that You would be glorified in our lives and our service. And grow us in these very characteristics. In Jesus' name, Amen.